Hi everybody, my name's Nick Beard. I'm the audiovisual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church, or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello, everybody. It's never happened before where I've been late. Um, do have we taken the offering? Is that what we're doing? Yes. Yeah. Okay. He says okay. no. You say yes. Who do I believe? Okay. I'll believe Ken. Great. Was that like a joke to mess with me? No, I got the message we had. Oh gosh, that's awesome. Happy New Year. It's the first time at PCC. We're usually more uh, with it than this. Hey, I do have some great news I want to start off with. Speaking of the offering, I want to just give a huge thank you. One of the things I love about PCC that we've experienced is the generosity of PCC. And uh, I've experienced a relational generosity around PCC, but um, PCC just shows up in unexpected ways. And this last December, where we are uh, being pretty ambitious with the mission and then other factors, we needed a big December. And... um, and we got a big December. And so I want to thank you for giving. We actually took in $737,000 in December at PCC. So can we just thank God uh, for that? It's our biggest month, and it's 100 grand over last December, which was our biggest month then, uh, up to date. And so we still have a long, um, long. We're very ambitious in what we're trying to do, so please don't put away your checkbooks. Giving's for all of us to be, participate in the mission, but uh, we do want to say thank you, Lord. Uh, it's just amazing how generous this community is. I love it. It spurs me on uh, towards generosity. So let's pray, and we're going to dive in. God, thank you so much for your word, and especially what we get to focus on in these coming um, weeks. Lord, I pray that you would give us uh, keen understanding, engaged minds. But we need more than that. We need your revelation. That's what we're resting on here. Whether we identify as a follower or not, speak to us here. We love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. All right. Have you ever heard the word artisan? You've heard that word? It's kind of a trendy word these days. I remember when it first came to me, Artisan, I was going to Starbucks. Uh, actually, not the Artisan Starbucks downtown, which is now Starbucks Reserved, but it was a regular Starbucks. But they were introducing a breakfast sandwich, and it was an Artisan breakfast sandwich. And I, I remember, it was a couple years ago, and here's, here's what it said. Rather than a simple bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich, we've got a breakfast sandwich with Gouda cheese. Applewood smoked bacon and all natural eggs served, of course, on an oven roasted. And then they put it in caps because small letter artisan would just be regular. But they made even the word artisan was artisan. Capital artisan bread, right? Artisan is huge. Here's here's what artisan. I didn't buy it, by the way. I still haven't bought it. But here's here's what artisan means: to create in a non-mechanized way using high quality ingredients. To create in a non-mechanized way using high quality ingredients. I'll play my cards right now for the next six weeks. The design of the church that Jesus had in mind when he created it was artisan. He wanted a church designed 
not in a cookie cutter way, but in an artisan way. He's a master crafter in it. An artisan's a craze. Put artisan before anything you can upsell it and and pay more for it, right? Amazon has over 10,000 titles about the making of artisan products. Over the past five years, we've been introduced in our grocery stores to 800 new products that have the word artisan before it. How many Super Bowl watchers here, right? Okay. We will consume 12 and a half million pizzas on Super Bowl Sunday. And I'm just telling you as your pastor, I'm warning you, don't eat a regular pizza when you can have a Domino's artisan pizza, everybody. All right, yum. We will consume, let me go back to the figure here. We will consume 28 million pounds of chips on Super Bowl Sunday. Don't just eat any chip when you can have a Tostitos artisan chip, my friends. Don't sell out. Please, don't sell out. Listen, having served the church for 29 years, I'm convinced of this reality. Again, Jesus had in mind when he created the church a a spiritually handcrafted community, not a mechanism or an industrialized church. And what I'm going to say, I want you to wrestle with this, okay? I want to mess with you this morning because I love you that much. Churches happen way better in circles than in rows. Church happens way better in circles than in rows. Jesus didn't have in mind rows alone when he created the church. This is mechanized. This is important. This is catalytic. We invest a lot in this. But if your only church experience is a row and it's not a circle, I am just telling you, and you can push back You can look, I'll give you just some of the 59 one another commands in scriptures. Go Google one another Bible, look for yourself, and then call me and I'll take you out for a cup of artisan coffee and we could talk it through. But this is not, if this is all you're experiencing, Jesus has so much more for you. There is so much more power and redemption available for you. There's a degree of Christ-likeness that you've never experienced, that your marriage has never experienced, that your friendships have never experienced, that your finances have never experienced, that your character has never experienced, that you are missing out on. Because for you, it's just about rows. I'm not shaming you, and I'm, never gonna, I'm not the row Nazi. I'm not the one that's going to tell you, you know, I don't know. But I'm just begging you to get in a circle, because that's what God had in mind when he created the church. So we're spending the next six weeks looking at the art of one anothering. And we're gonna dive into some of the 59 one another commands in the New Testament. And what I hope that we discover is that as good as this is, circles are better. Circles are better. Rows have a place, but circles are better than rows. As a matter of fact, can you say that back to me? Encourage me. Circles are better than rows. Now turn to someone and say it to them. Circles are better than rows. Turn to the person you came with and say it to them. Circles are better than rows. I'm going to build that out for the next 25 minutes together, okay? So let's open our Bibles because that's our authority around here. We identify as followers of Jesus. We identify the Bible as a book from God. It's our holy book. So open the Bible to Matthew chapter 25. And I want to take you to build out that statement, okay? Build out that statement because we all want to push back. We all want to, yeah, but... Um, and, and say, you don't know my life, you don't know how busy my schedule is, all that. I get that. I get that. Trust me, I get that. 
I still believe circles are better than rows and that every one of you, if you identify as a follower of Jesus, should be in a circle, okay? Let's start in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, let's look at the inception of the word church. I'm gonna take you to the first place the word church appears in the Bible. Isn't that awesome? Uh, And it happened on a retreat. Jesus took his uh, closest followers to a retreat. Now, when you think of retreat, what do you think of going on a retreat? Where, where, do you, where have you gone on retreats? Talk back to me. Hume Lake. Hume Lake. J-H Ranch. Silomar. Nice. Mission Springs. What did you say over here? Catalina. Catalina. Wow. All beautiful places. All remote places. You know where Jesus took his followers to reveal something very important to them? to like a Las Vegas, to the middle of Sin City in the first century, right in the heart, if I can use it this way, of the strip of the Sin City of the first century in the Roman Empire, a place called Caesarea Philippi, a place known for its pluralism and pagan worship. And when you worship something other than God, you dehumanize yourself and engage in dehumanizing behavior. And that's what was going on in this place. There's a group of us that'll be there in about eight weeks and there's a large outcropping and they still have the shrines to the pagan gods in the large rock outcropping from the first century. They still have the cave where they would sacrifice children and kill them in the large, I'm sorry, I got kids here, sorry kids. I'll try to be better. Uh, For a large rock outcropping, uh, there was total dehumanizing behavior. I'll just stay at that. And Jesus goes up there and says, okay, I got a question for you. And here, that's the context of Matthew 16. Here's what he says. He said to them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. By the way, that one verse has informed our parenting more than any other scripture in all the Bible, what we just read. Um, The number one prayer we pray over our daughters, Jesus, reveal yourself to them because they can't know you unless you initiate a revelation. The number one prayer I'm praying over my grandchildren, I don't even have them yet on the planet, I'm praying in faith, Reveal yourself to little Gary. (laughs) Reveal yourself to my grandchildren. Reveal yourself, I'm praying for my great-grandchildren. It is so important. I pray over my my block almost every day. I prayed this morning. Reveal yourself to Grand Street. Um, Reveal yourself to the city. I prayed for us. Reveal yourself at 11 o'clock. It is so, so important, okay? And I tell you, he says, you're Peter. And on this rock, in other words, on that confession that I am God, that I am the Messiah, and here comes the first time the word comes, I'm going to build something brand new called what? The church. Church. What came out of Jesus' mouth was a compound word, which means called out congregation. I am going to build something, a community, a gathering of people that is separate from the community, called out of the community, that functions differently than the community. You have the norms of the community. We're not going to function that way. We are going to be so uh, functionally, supernaturally in how we treat one another, how we are designed to be treated and treat one another, that the whole communities want to 
want, is going to want to get in on that community. That's what Jesus had in mind. A called out congregation with Christ at the center. And then he said, and it's not on the screen, but the, the verse goes on, and it's going to be expansive. And you're going to come up to the gates of hell. And the gates of hell will try to push you back because the darkness loves darkness. And the gates of hell won't prevail. I got to tell you, in my vantage point where I sit uh, as the chief servant of Peninsula Covenant Church, I see this all the time when the church gets it right. I'm in a circle. Like for me, uh, I'm not just preaching what I don't practice. Uh, I would be nowhere, some of my circles here, I would be nowhere without my circle that, that one another's me incredibly well, that speaks into my life. And, and this week, one of the people in our circle is stepping into uh, darkness in our community, uh, the foster care system. The foster care system isn't dark. The fact that kids have to step into the foster care system is never designed by God in heaven. And they've heard the call and they said, we're going to do it. And it's really hard. They're, they're living the hard right now. And in that circle, that band of brothers came alongside and said, not alone. We'll, t- we'll take care of meals. What do you need? We'll take care of babysitting. We want to come alongside you so that you don't do this alone. Because the vision is that no foster kid in our county has to live outside of a Christ-centered home. And so they're stepping up, and so we're coming along. Circles are better than rows. And the darkness is being pushed back as they love this kid in the heart. And then on Friday night, um, we, this room was packed. It was packed, and we had seven to ten-year-old Ugandan orphans. And the darkness had an agenda for them. And the kingdom of God came up to that agenda and burst through the gates and said, no, 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 you won't be defined as orphan. You will be defined as follower of Jesus. And we listened to the African Children's Choir, and they shared their dreams. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a nurse. I want to be a pastor. What they all had in common was a future that is so rare on the continent of Africa with orphans. And why did that happen? Because the gates of hell did not prevail when the church pushed up against it. And then on Saturday, we were saying goodbye to the orphans, and, and uh, there was a meeting across the hall of something called Freedom House. I'm using code, but Freedom House is uh, safe houses for adults who've been trafficked. I'll leave it at that. And talk about dehumanizing in the power of darkness. But the church is stepping in and pushing back the gates and saying, not on our watch, we'll provide safe houses and put a whole new agenda the kingdom of God agenda on this darkness. See, this is what Jesus had in mind when he called them on this retreat. And he said, you know what? I'm going to build this called out community. That'll be so different. And that was the first time the word church appeared in the Bible. And it appeared almost a hundred times after that. And I'm going to tell you this. In every instant, it never was associated or had as its end game a place. It always was talking about a people. A people. And the rest of the scriptures, Jesus talked about it a lot. And then the book of Acts is the story of the church, the circles that met. They didn't have buildings. And they met around tables. They met and congregated in homes. And, and, then, and then the letters 
all the New Testament authors, uh, Paul and Peter and John and James and whoever wrote Hebrews, if you find that out, let me know. We're, we're still trying to figure that out. They all talk about how to one another and how to do church. But it was never talking about and, and have this building and have that kind of light and have that long of a service. It didn't talk about rows. It talked about one anothering. Circles. I'm not saying this is bad. This is really good, what we're doing here. It's so important. Our staff knows. I think it's the most catalytic experience of our whole week, of everything we do. But if this is all you experience with church and you identify as a follower of Jesus, I'm, I'm pleading you, with you. There's so much more. Get in a circle. This church is built on circles. And those circles congregated together will be so expansive that all of darkness will throw and try to keep us trapped and they won't prevail. I read this, you know, I was just reading a missiological report from a very credible source talking about what's going on in China right now. Uh, the worst atrocities since the Cultural Revolution in the 60s and 70s where two million followers of Jesus um, ceased to live. It's happening again and, and crosses are being torn down from buildings and uh, China's actually trying to retranslate the Bible into the official Chinese translation uh, to make it blend more with socialism. Uh, pastors are being uh, persecuted and imprisoned. Um, and, and in this report, a pastor in prison said, the rulers have chosen an enemy that can never be imprisoned, the church. I love that. Despite government efforts, upward of 100,000 Chinese are meeting and discovering new life in Jesus every week. That's not happening because people are meeting in rows. It's happening because people can't meet in rows. So they have to meet secretly in, in homes and in circles. You know, on the West here, we, def we inflate our numbers. Our denomination asks us every year, what are your numbers? And we have to report our numbers. And, but you know what they do in China? They deflate their numbers. Because they don't want anyone to know. This report said that by 2030, the biggest Christian nation in the world, guess where? China. Because they have a church based on circles, not on rows, where people are one another in one another, the way God designed it. Don't you want that? I do too. I, I get that in many ways. So what was the intention of that? Turn to page two and let's look at that. Jesus intended that the primary activity of the church when we're called out and when we congregate is that we one another, one another. It's listed, I just teased you with some of the 59 one another commands in the scriptures. Let's, let's just look at that. Look at page three. Let's just look at that. A third of them have to do with unity because Jesus knew the enemy would want to pry in and divide because that's what our culture is, right? That's what it's all about. So, so Jesus said, here's what you do. When you start to get together, one of the one another's I want you really to do, I don't want you to complain and grumble against one another. Don't complain around people's back. If you have something with someone, go right to them. But don't argue and complain with one another. And then, I want you to bear with each other. Ah, oh, I see that lived out. I could spend an hour telling you story after story after story of people who are limping physically, who are dealing with not just life-threatening, but life-ending disease. 
and their one another community that can never be fostered here in Rose, but because they've lived in circles, the community is saying, we'll carry you right to the grave. And you can be as authentic as you want with us. We're not gonna run away. Forgive one another. There's gonna be times when we're one anothering and I say something in my community and you say something or I do something, I'm gonna need you to forgive me. Jesus says, do it. Seek the good for one another. What? Yeah, when you get together, believe the best in one another. That's a concept, right? Jesus said, that's what's gonna mark my community. And then look at this, a third of them have to do with how we love one another. What do you mean? Well, we should serve each other. Come into the room with this question, and this doesn't happen a lot in rows, and grace to everybody, but did you come into this building and ask the question, how can I serve around here? God, you prick my heart. Who needs to be served? Or did you come in going, I'm going to worship service, translated. I'm going to spell that S-E-R-V-E, new word, U-S. Worship, serve us. Ian, serve us. Music, serve us. Lighting, serve us. Gary, man, you're late. What were you doing? What do you mean you were ministering down at Hudson and someone pulled you aside when you were leaving and you took time to spend with one person instead of the 99? Don't you know we need to be served? We're on the time here. The the national championships are happening in football. That's not the church God designed. I know you didn't think that. I I really, I know you didn't think that. I I do. I'm, I'm being incredibly gracious. But did we come into the room going, who can I serve? That's what Jesus said we should do when we get together. Look to serve each other. We love with one another, and if we're parents, happens in, in the buildings outside this building. We love that there are people that are missing this so they can one another, our children, our babies. We love on Wednesday night when a group of adults, one another, is our kids, our adolescents. You come here on Wednesday night, I'm telling you, man, it will lift your spirits as you see God's girls and God's guys and middle schoolers and all that. We love that right now, there's a group of adults, one another in our middle schoolers, and giving up this so that middle schoolers can learn what we're doing here. We just don't want to do it with each other. Church happens way better in circles than in rows. That's what God intended when the church gathered. That's what he had in mind. Now, the last thing, we saw the inception First word, the church, first time the church came on the scene, we saw the intention. I just took you to 10. There's 59. And I don't want you to look at them as, um, as a carrot that you go like, I can't reach that, I can't reach that. I want you to look at it as aspirational church. Everyone look at me, please, please. Whether you call PCC home or not, just give me your undivided attention. You can do this. We can be this. I know it's terrifying stepping into this kind of community. It's exhilarating stepping out of it as you've experienced this. If you've never experienced one anothering in a circle of committed brothers and sisters, if you've never put your marriage in a circle of committed one another kind of people that are doing this in marriage, there's no relationship that matters to me that I haven't submitted to a circle my parenting, my career, my, my growth as a man, uh, my growth in purity, 
my marriage. I can't imagine if it was just experienced in Rose. I just wouldn't be who I am. I want that for you. So what's the end effect? Look at the last point. What would an artisan church look like? John 13, everybody. John 13. So we talked about uh, Jesus on retreat. Uh, The Bible says after he disclosed who he was, he was in northern Israel, almost uh, in today's day on the Syrian border, really up north. Another biographer named Luke says he, he resolutely at that point made a death march to Jerusalem after disclosing who he really was and in, in, in introducing this concept of the church. And you know what happened? His world got smaller and smaller and smaller. Uh, he doesn't feed the masses after he introduces church. It's just him and his 70 followers. No more sermons on the mount, just him and 70 followers. And then pretty soon... Uh, like a rocket going into orbit, he disengages the 70 and it's just him and 12. And he's just spending the rest of his time, it's called discipleship, it's, a, it's his circle. And then pretty soon he's in the upper room and he disengages Judas. Now it's him and 11. And that's what we're gonna look at in a minute. But then he leaves the upper room and he goes out of the gates of Jerusalem, down the Kidron Valley, into the Garden of Gethsemane. And you know what he does? He says to seven of them, You wait here, and he disengages the seven. Now it's just him and three. His world is getting smaller and smaller. It's him, Peter, James, and John. Then he gets arrested, and you know what happens on the cross? Two run away, and it's just him and John. And there's women followers of his, too. And then ultimately, it's just him. When the father turns from him on the cross, he's like, God, why are you forsaking me? He's all alone. Why'd he do it? Because of you. Because of this. Because of a love for us to live in forever relationship with him. So he's in the upper room and he says this, my children, I'll be with you only a little while longer. You're going to look for me, but just as I told the Jews, I'm going to tell you right now, where I'm going, you can't come. And then he says this, I'm going to give you a new command. And all the disciples pull out their moleskin. And they get their pencil like, all right, here we go. Something new. Don't you love learning new things? Especially from Jesus. Can you imagine if Jesus was our pastor? Wow. Anyway, he says, a new command I give you. And they're like, okay, Jesus, what do you have for us? And he says this, love one another. And they lean back and they put down their pencil and like, wait a second. I thought you said new command. That's not new. We learned that in synagogue. I learned that before I even knew you, Jesus. That goes back to Deuteronomy. That's not new. Jesus, hold on. I'm not done yet. Here comes the new. Are you ready? As I have loved you, that's how you have to love one another. Matter of fact, he's stronger than that. He says, you must. This isn't optional. If you call yourself a follower of mine, this is what should happen. The way I've loved you, you love others. And at that point, Matthew would be in the room, and if we could see it, I really believe a light bulb would go on over his head. Because Matthew was a political sellout as a tax collector. 
He had sided with the enemy. And, and he was collecting taxes from his fellow human beings and uh, his fellow tribe of Jewish people. But he had the authority of Rome behind him so he could charge exorbitant taxes. And if people didn't want to pay, he had Roman authority and he'd pocket money left and right. Everyone hated Matthew. And one day Matthew would remember, wait a second, Jesus came up to me and said, I know who you really are. And I love that person. Follow me and let's bring out the true you. Matthew would go, oh, that's how I'm supposed to love one another. And then in Peter's mind, the light bulb about, I don't know, 36, 48 hours later would go off because Peter would follow Jesus from a distance, which is an oxymoron, by the way. And he was in a courtyard when Jesus was getting arrested and in tons of confusion and chaos and fear. And, and someone says, I know that accent. Wait, I know you. Wait, you're associated with him. And he sees Jesus getting beaten to a pulp. He's like, I don't know him. I don't know him three times. The last time he gets the worst. He's like, I'd rather, again, using code, I'd rather go to the place other than heaven. Curse me, is what he literally said, if I know that guy. And the biographer Luke says at that moment, the moment he said it, Jesus and Matthew's eyes met. And then Jesus rises from the dead and gives uh, a word to the women at the resurrection at the tomb. says, go back and tell the disciples, and Peter, I've risen. And Peter would go, oh, the love that covers a huge betrayal, that's how I'm to love one another. I can go on and on and on, but that's the newness of the command. And then Jesus said this, by this, it's not on the screen. He said, by this, by this kind of love, by the way you want another, one another, the whole world will know you're my disciple if you love one another like this. So I have a question for you. I usually do. What's your this? By this, all people will know you're my disciple if you love one another. What's your this? Jesus said what his this is for your life. What's yours? Here's what I'm saying, folks. That this that Jesus had in mind can't happen in rows alone. Circles are better than rows. You were designed to one another one another. One another and happens best in circles. We've seen it's the inception and point of the whole church to sit in circles and then gather and congregate in rows to celebrate together in ways that we couldn't celebrate alone. That's why the primary activity of the church can't happen in rows. It happens in circles. So, I want to invite you to a journey. And by the way, I'm not saying this to be politically correct, but I mean it with all my heart. This weekend, we are celebrating a man with whom this conviction was, a, was his clarion call to a nation, to one another, one another very well. And the ripple effect of it 60 years later, I, I just think uh, it's never been needed more for the church to lead the way in looking through race and class and gender and coming together and saying, uh, only in the called out community can we be validated for who we are, not 
how we look or what we wear or how much we make, right? So have you ever just uh, considered making a step into a circle? We've tried to make it as easy as possible for you. Uh, you can just text one word to a phone number and it'll get the process going. If you've never been in a rooted group, that's where we want you to start. Uh, rooted is an amazing experience. Uh, I, I, it's just the stories that come out of Rooted are mind-blowing. And if you're not used to Rooted, that's where you start. If you no, don't have any experience in a circle, start there. You've heard about other groups that are starting around finances, FPU University, or other groups. I invite you to consider, just for six weeks, getting a group. Getting a group and see what it's like. And see if you aren't experiencing more of Jesus, more of community. You aren't becoming more of who God had in mind when he created you in the first place. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this. Thank you so much for listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We believe you're here for a reason, and we would love to connect with you more. Our campuses are located in Redwood City, California. You can find us online at wearepcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for We Are PCC.